Welcome back, AAP subscribers and AAP podcast listeners. Chris Versace here, and we are barreling towards the end of 2023. And that means today's podcast is going to be our last podcast of the year. And for that, boy, have we got a special treat for you. That's right. We are bringing to you the one, the only, Mr. Morning Recon himself, Sarge Guilfoyle. And for those who don't know, Sarge and I have um, we have an intertwined past in that we both co-managed the Stocks Under 10 portfolio for a period of time. We got to know each other. You know, Sometimes our styles would complement each other. Sometimes we would even have differences of opinion, but all made for a good product and, as you'll see today, a good conversation as well. So with that, members and podcast listeners, Sarge, how are you doing? I'm doing just fine. I'm so glad you introduced me in such an optimistic way. It made me sound good. I appreciate that. Uh, you oh, probably come did more on. than half the work when we were together, but I, uh, <laughs> and I do appreciate stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. It's all. It's all about you know um, education, idea generation, and believe me, you are worth your weight in gold when it comes to that. I mean, all someone has to do is read, read the morning recon, and they can see that very easily. Uh, and of course, the Morning Recon is uh, over at Real Money Pro every morning, uh, bright and early. I, I correct me if I'm wrong. You're you're like a 3 a.m. riser, 3:30 riser. I'm usually at my desk by 3:30. Yeah, that's oh. that's something I picked up years ago. You know, on Wall Street back in the day, before computers, we had to be in around 6:37. So, and I live a you know a couple hours east of Wall Street, so I'd be up, you know, pretty early on my way into the city, way before rush hour, and. Uh, it's just something that's evolved. Not now that with the advent of computers and the internet and everything, it just gives me a head start. I used to be reading the Wall Street Journal on the way in, and then eventually Jim's material on my Palm Pilot. But uh, <laughs> you know, now I can be a lot more productive a lot earlier, and I can actually get involved when things are trading overseas, which I could never have done in those days. You must love the simple fact that you're not restricted to that little black and white screen on the Palm Pilot. You get a big screen and you can probably see a lot more, you know, that's funny. Though. Yeah. What, what I do miss about those days, I'll tell you, is, be, is if you read the Wall Street Journal and you read the material that came out throughout the day and you actually paid attention, you were the smart guy back then. Because half of these guys were reading the Daily News and, and seeing what the Knicks did on the way to work. <laughs> they didn't, they weren't doing their homework. Now, so many people are doing the work. It's 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 really become much more difficult to differentiate yourself. It has, but I, I think that, you know, it's interesting you bring that up because there's such such more access to information that uh, I, I understand what you're saying about trying to differentiate yourself. I do get that. But I find that it's more important than ever to really understand what is driving a particular company's business, what's driving a stock, because there's so much disparate information out there, noise, if you will, that if, if you're not laser focused, um, you can get lost. Oh, easily. And, and, and it used to be so much more difficult that you would actually, now you and I, we get interested in a stock, somebody tells us something about a stock, we can pull it up, look at the chart right away. I used to chart my stocks once a week on the weekend because I used to chart it the same way that Helene does on graph paper with a pencil. And I wasn't going to do every stock I was interested in every day. <laughs> now, you, now you look at every stock you're interested in multiple times a day. And and a, half of the work is already put on the screen for you by the guys who designed the program. So it's that's why technical analysis is so much more accurate, by the way, than it ever was. 
because it was so there was so much more potential error back in that day. And now so many folks are looking at the same the same levels, the same numbers that the guys who write the algorithms, who hire the guys who do the technical analysis, almost all see the same numbers. So that's why folks who just came along in the last few years, they think, oh, technical analysis is great. No, it's only great <laughs> because everybody's looking at the same stuff. It's, it's now it's interesting you say that, right? Because you're you're a bit of a, a blend of what I would say three things: fundamentals and technicals, but you're also kind of a cross between an investor and a trader, right? Whereas I'm more of a fundamental thematic guy with a longer term bet, right? Those, those are our different styles, and they're okay. they're both they're they're both great, both work, both have their attributes, and I'm sure. Um, both at times have their shortcomings, but 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 that's who we are. Um, so with that, I, I just want to segue the conversation a little bit and just get your take on the market. And and um, just for frame of reference, I, I was doing these numbers earlier this morning. Uh, S and P five hundred's catapulted fourteen and a half, almost fifteen percent since the bottom in October. The Nasdaq is up about 17.5, almost 18% in that same time frame. And, and I've been sharing with AAP members that, wow, we are enjoying this ride. But man, oh man, is this market overbought? Is it extended? How do you see it, Sarge? Uh, I see it very much the same way. I mean, it's not just looking at the chart and saying, oh, look, relative strength of the uh, S&P 500 is 80 which is, you know, 70 is usually the border between overbought and, and not overbought for it, to simplify things. But it just look how parabolic it's gone since that October low that you mentioned. I mean, it's almost a straight line higher. And they've left the S&P, and I'm sure the NASDAQ too, is, has left three unfilled gaps on the way up. Now, we all know unfilled gaps don't have to fill, but they usually do. So that is something that could pull the market back towards back towards a reversion to mean, if you will, because it was in a descending wedge before that, uh, that late October low. Okay, hang on, hang on. For those who are listening, descending wedge. Well, that's a technical term for, for a broadening trend. Instead of a price channel that moves symmetrically lower, it broadens. The, the, higher, the, higher, the highs still, still move lower and the lows still low, move lower, but the, moves, the lows accelerate more quickly than the highs do. So you, you get a broadening, so it looks like a wedge. Okay. Like a falling triangle. Yeah. Okay. 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 So before we started recording, I, I asked you the question, um, or I made the comment, I should say that, uh, you know, Sarge, I, I believe you were a little cautious, and you surprised me because you said that you're not as cautious now as you were, even though the market is, you know, as we as you just discussed, really overbought. What's going on? Well, I, I think I mistimed the high a little bit. Uh, so I tr I got. I guess maybe it was in late November, early December, I got to a point where I was actually short more capital than I was long, which is very rare for me. And I also had more cash, more cash, on, not on my books because it's in, it's in uh, short-term treasuries, but I had more cash than, uh, than longs also. So long, was in, long positions were in third place in my total allocation, which I don't think they've ever been out of first place before. So it was, it was very, very rare for me. You'll see if you look at that chart that the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ and the other indices all ran sideways through the last two weeks of November and into the early part of December. I believe that that time that we were forming an island top, which if you know what an island top is, is when you have a gap up, it moves sideways, and then you have a gap down. Well, we didn't get the gap down. Instead, we got another leg up. So I had to cover those shorts at a loss. 
and reset my book so I could stop losing more money and start making money again. That's one thing traders have to do. Uh, you and and investors, you you well, you you have to be relatively quick to recognize when you've misplayed something because otherwise you can turn this into something disastrous. Which I fortunately I didn't turn it into a disaster at all. I think I only still have a I have a small short in Netflix which was large at one time. And I have a small short in the IWM ETF, which is the Russell 2000. That's about it. Now, you, you just mentioned kind of, um, uh, you know, kind of getting uh, caught flat-footed. But I know that you use panic points for your position. So uh, have you refreshed your panic points? Yeah, I, I do two things. I use, I use panic points as well as target prices on, on everything. And, and I also have an 8% rule. So if I lose 8% on a, on an, on a position, it's game over. Either I have to adjust significantly, which is which could could include allocating more capital, or I exit. But I will. I promised myself probably 20 years ago that I would never lose more than eight percent on a position. And the only time it happens that these days is if it happens while I'm sleeping. I wake up and something moved a whole lot. Something but, gaps. Uh, something gaps. Something gaps down based right. on some news overnight. But if, but if I'm alert. I will not lose more than 8% of position. And uh, that Netflix position I just mentioned to you is down 7.5%. So that's the closest one I have right now to triggering that rule. Okay. So you're you're not as um, nervous about the market. But... Well, I'm still, I still think we're overvalued. And I still okay. think we're in, we're in for a good whooping at some point. But I, I had to correct myself because I the market voted me out of power. So I had to retake the power from the market. I, I I have been there. We have been there. We we understand what that is. Um, so let, let's talk about the market, right? So I, I shared in a piece uh, that I wrote this morning, December 18th, to AAP members that, you know, look, big run. I cited those numbers I just mentioned. I cited the RSIs, which at the time, I think the S&P 500 was like 75, 76. And I think uh, the NASDAQ was hovering right around there. The SIBO uh, volatility index was still below 13. Uh, the CNN fear greed index was ticked into extreme greed, closed Friday in greed. Uh, it's going to be a nervous market. And I think we're out over our skis a little bit. Uh, and, and I have to think that at least part of this, Sarge, is some will blame the Fed pivot. But I, I think the market has also gotten way out over its skis because I look today Six to seven rate cuts in 2024 is what the CME Fed Watch tool is telling us. Uh, I don't think that's going to happen. What do you think? No, in fact, if we have six to seven rate cuts in 2024, we're going to have a whole lot more to worry about than rate cuts. Uh, it, I think corporate earnings will have fallen through a floor if we, if we get anywhere near that. I think that Raphael Bostic, what he said on Friday, that he's that he's thinking, and he's a dub. Remember, he's one of the more dovish members of the FOMC. He's thinking maybe 50 basis points for the year, all packed into the second half of the year. That's the it, dovish point of view. Okay, it, <laughs> that's that that is actually interesting because I I did not I have to admit I didn't see his comments. I saw what Williams said, I saw what Goolsby said, and I saw what Mester had to say. All of which was slow the horses, pal. Because we're not we we are not there yet in terms of um, specifically timing these rate cuts. Yeah, you gotta you gotta remember there too. Mester is a hawk, but she's retiring. We don't know who's replacing her. Goolsby tends towards the dovishness, and Williams, try as he might, is just 
am I allowed to insult someone here? I mean, he's just not. That you can say you I can mean. say whatever you want. <laughs> no, say whatever you want. Challenged, I think. I don't think he's <laughs> as sharp as, as the rest. Of he us. may he he may not be, but 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 the position of New York, uh, you know, yeah, Fed president, <laughs> is important and 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 it's relatively powerful. No, it is. He's, he's say, it's basically the same thing as being a governor. Yeah, he's exactly. You got the same powers plus the additional responsibility of running the New York Fed. So, so you told me what Bostic said, but what do you think? Do you think that we could get a rate cut in the first half of the year? And the, the reason I'm asking this is a couple of podcasts ago, I, I might have been with Todd Campbell or Bob Lang. I, I honestly can't remember at this point. I, I kind of raised some concern about when the Fed would cut because it is an election year. And if you look at the calendar, right, they have a couple different meetings. Then they have a meeting in July meeting in September, which is way too close to the election, and then a meeting in December. So, you know, if I think about what Bostic says, 50 could be, you know, July, September. Yeah, I think they, they might trigger a little bit early, only to, only because they're trying desperately, I believe, not to have a recession during an election year. Because then they, I guess they figured they would put some weight on the scales of the election one way or the other without without intentionally doing so. So if they do need to act, it'll probably or feel they need to act. It could happen earlier than Bostic says, but I th- I don't see them going beyond 75 basis points for the year. I think that's even aggressive uh, unless there's a, an economic reason to be that aggressive on the dovish side. Which, well, that was your, I mean, that, so far that, it hasn't been. Right, right. I mean, the Atlanta Fed GDP, as of early this morning, 2.6% will slow a little bit. But it's not like we're, it's not like what Powell had said six months ago, nine months ago, that to get to the Fed's 2% target, there was going to be pain. We haven't seen a lot of pain. We we haven't seen a lot of pain yet. Not the kind of pain I expect. I, I thought we would have gone into recession this year. I was one of those guys. Uh, and I certainly think that we very well may see a recession next year. But if we don't, then we don't. I mean, I see, I went to grocery shopping this weekend. I did. Oh, I saw this. I saw I saw this tweet. And, and I couldn't believe how, how inexpensive it was relative to where it was just a couple of weeks ago. And I'm buying the same garbage. I mean, I, I was probably almost a 20% cheaper total price. I could, I, I thought I forgot something. I looked in the bags. What did I forget to buy? Did I forget to buy meat? I mean, (laughs) and this is New York. This is an expensive place to live. So, I mean, I was very very surprised. So, obviously, prices are coming in a little bit on even food. So, that's actually, that's deflation. That's not disinflation. That's deflation. You know, and that's that can lead to a recession in its own. If, If you stall on economic growth while prices are coming in, Oh, that's a deflation. That's going to end up being in uh, in recession. Well, 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 we'll see. I mean, we we, we got some good data coming uh, the end of the week with the uh, November PCE price index and the core PCE price index, and we'll we'll get another view on that. I I'm just happy that when we look at some of the recent data, uh, we're seeing continued. I should say the continued return of real wage growth. You know, there's a, it's always nice when more people have more money in their pockets. There are some issues out there, right? Credit card debt. And I saw over the weekend that there's a uh, meaningful percentage of student debt repayers that are way behind the curve. They did not make their initial payments like they were supposed to. So there, that is a little disconcerting. And I did see that some um, auto loans are, you know, increasingly delinquent as well. So... May not be out of the woods just yet. 
No, no, I don't. I don't think we are. And if, and if we get uh, slower growth and and inflation, well, that that's stagflation. That's what we had in the seventies. We don't want that. Slower growth with uh, with decelerating inflation. Well, that's that's de- that's actually recession. We don't want that. So we need growth to stay positive, and even accelerate mildly accelerating inflation in, is probably better than the alternative. Although I. I don't enjoy inflation much myself. I think 4%, which is where it is now, I think is a little a little high to be declaring victory, which they, they didn't really declare victory. The media kind of declared victory. I mean, J- Jerome Powell was a little, he didn't really push back too much, but I don't, he was still saying that we have to be careful moving forward. And then that's what the other Fed heads that came out and spoke since have kind of reiterated. Well, it makes perfect sense. I mean, if, if you trace back um, some of the core inflation data, you know, we were at these levels and then it rebounded and then it fell and then it rebounded. So it, it, it does make sense that they want to, you know, what, what's the old uh, carpenter uh, saying, you know, measure twice, cut once, so to speak. You, you know, what could hurt in the coming years. This year, we, the market was so eager to price in falling inflation and, and so eager to price in the recession that didn't happen. Well, next year, is is 1.5% growth going to be good news or bad news? It's going to be bad news. Is 3.5% inflation going to be good news or bad news next year? It's going to be bad news next year. So if the market gets to that point where good news is good news and bad news is bad news, we can't simply try to you know, have a repeat of the trend we've been on because it won't be a victory mm-hmm. next year. It'll be a defeat next year. No, I agree. I agree. Uh, now, you had mentioned that you thought that we might have a, or you, you were thinking that there could be a recession next year. Are you thinking it's first half loaded? I, I, I'm thinking that pushing it off as far as they can. I'm surprised it's lasted this long. The 5.2% uh, blowout report for the third quarter took me completely by surprise. I, I never expected anything like that. A lot of it was government spending, but a lot of it wasn't. Uh, so. There was there, some actual growth in there. Yeah, but there, and, but there, but there is going to be more government spending, you know, throughout 2024, 2025 through true. these various programs. And remember too that there are two that really only, well, one only really came on stream last week with the first award. That was the Chips Act, and then the other one, this highly talked about and something that both we've both suffered through, Sarge, and you'll know what I mean. Uh, the EV charging network build out. Uh, yeah. That has yet to start. Yeah, it's that that I mean, defense spending too can't, is not going away. I mean, the world the world is not going to become less dangerous moving forward. So we're going to have to we have to replenish almost all U.S. military stocks because we gave everything to Ukraine. We we had to fight a two front war right now. We wouldn't be able to do it. So we really have to probably put a lot more money than anybody's going to be willing to put into 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 the likes of General Dynamics and. Uh, and Raytheon and Lockheed Martin and Northrop and those companies. I'm still along with a few of those, by the way. I would I would be surprised if you weren't, especially Lockheed at these levels. Oh, you know, also the if you look at the personal consumption expenditures over the last year and a half or so on GDP, it's not labeled as government spending, but how much of it was really government spending? If you think about it, if you think about how much money the government pushed into the system and how much they did in the way of, of stimulatory handouts. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of that personal consumption expenditures post post COVID was actually government spending, although it was spent by consumers. 
Yeah, I would bet that was more of an impact in 2021, 2022 than than 2023. Not not saying it was no, it's, no it's impact. Definitely, it's withering, and it's and it should. I would think with so many consumers now falling into delinquency in certain areas, that that money has has almost, except for wealthy folks, it's probably exhausted. Well, I think we could see that with the savings rate falling and credit card debt going up. Um, I, I apologize because I, I kind of got us off track here because it, it, it's so it's so much fun to talk about different things. Um, let let's get back to the market, right? So we both agree that it's overbought, right? We we uh, both agree that we're in a seasonally strong time. We know the Santa Claus rally should be rearing its head soon. Um, you think that there might be some wobbliness this week ahead of the Santa Claus rally, but what about January? We've had some. You know, they talk about the January effect, but it doesn't always work. We've had some pretty awful Januaries over the years. Uh, we had some rough Februaries, too. So the, the year can get off to a, to a rather rocky start, especially if we're screaming into the end of the year, as, as we seem to be doing. So uh, I think there's a – I know I'm thinking – I have a lot of longs that are up really nice, and I'm thinking about taking some profits this week. So if I'm thinking like, like that, are other traders slash investors thinking like that? They probably are. I mean, you, you don't want to miss out on a Santa Claus rally, but if you're if you're selling anything that, at a loss so that you can take take it put it against your taxes, you know you probably want to do it this week. You know, and and you don't I don't know if you, I don't know if you want a chance going into that final week. I mean, the Santa Claus rally adds about maybe one percent on an average year. It's not a big thing. It runs through the the week between the Christmas and New Year's holidays and the first two days of the year. That's all the Santa Claus rally is. Right. All of these all these experts you hear talking about the Santa Claus rally that's been going on since November. Well, I don't know. I don't know what school <laughs> these guys went to because that's not because that's not the Santa Claus rally. Well, but the funniest thing about it is it, that time frame, those seven days, depending on how they fall, it's some of the lowest volume days of the year. Yeah, it's, it's, it it tends to be pretty low volume. A lot of, you know, it, that was probably more true back when the markets were more reliant upon human labor to trade. Now that things are run by algorithms, they need a lot less people. A lot less, fewer people can get a lot more done. So True. I don't know. You know, even the hedge funds, the customers, you know, for the for the uh, for the brokers, the hedge funds probably have a skeleton crew in. The brokers probably have a skeleton crew in. The specialists probably have a skeleton crew. But they they can, if something happened, probably handle as much volume as if it was a, a full crew, which mm -hmm. is why which is why you see. On the execution side, financial services have never employed fewer people, I don't think. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. Back to January, though. Um, you know, the way I'm kind of gaming it out, uh, expectations are 11% earnings growth for the S&P 500. You know, rates still haven't moved lower yet. The economy, we think, is going to, you know, be slower. We are seeing, you know, increasing layoffs being announced. There's some other headwinds that are brewing. Uh, I am still concerned about some wage growth, just given what we've seen. Uh, thank you and podcast listeners and all, because I've said this several times before. Uh, but we look at what the Teamsters have done, the UAW has done. Take a look at what the UAW is trying to do to Budweiser InBev now, right? You know, I, I do think that there's some wage pressure that, that could remain sticky. Um, I'm not really convinced that 11% EPS growth is what we're going to get for the S&P 500. No, I think 11% has to come in quite a bit. I think it's I think it's overly uh, overly aggressive. I don't know what the what the number will be, but I I think I think margins will probably be pressured in 2024. Uh, whether we have an, 
a, re a recession or not, we're going to have something. We're probably going to have some point in the year where we're at least thinking we might go into a recession. So we're going to slow down to a point where, where it's on our radar. And that when that happens, you will not only see consumers peel back on spending, you will see businesses pull back even further on hiring. You will see wage growth freezes. You'll see every, almost everything being done that slows economic activity as we get near to the recession. Now, now it's really, a, it'll be a product of human response to the situation mm -hmm. that whether or not we go into the recession or not, if folks are really scared, we will go, we will go into that recession. If not, yeah. we'll probably just have a close call. But even a close call is going to feel like a recession. If you recall the recession of what, 08 or whatever it was, the average person, if you spoke to them in the street, not people who follow economics, the average person thought we were in a recession from 2008 till 2015. They never, they never knew we came out of a recession. Yeah, well, th to your point, the, the danger is it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Oh, I'm hearing we're in a, we're in a recession. I better slow my spending. And oh, yeah, happens. exactly. And, and the manager at one Home Depot finds out that the manager at the other Home Depot is, is holding his part-time part employees down to like 10 hours a week because he's afraid to spend his discretionary funds. So he does the same thing and so oh. on and so on. And then he says, maybe I can get away with two less full-time employees. And it goes on from there. So based on where we are today, market's likely to continue melting up. There is some risk. Um, you know, I think Helene Meisler thinks that we could see a pullback uh, in early January. I know Bob Lang is concerned with the McClellan oscillators. Um, could, I think he wrote this morning with his S&P 500 chart that, you know, a pullback had happened. I believe his words were any time. Um, you know, I think, sorry. I, I think Colleen wrote something very similar to that, uh, like either last night or this morning about it. She, it was also based on reading on the McClellan. So yes, yeah. that's, that's interesting. Yeah. So, so I'm, I'm sitting there, look at that. And we, we had a good friend of yours on a couple of weeks ago, Jay Woods, who was, you know, in his mind at the time, everything was playing out textbook rally, but he did mention that we could see a little bit of a pullback before the end of the year before powering higher, but he too was getting a little nervous about January. Um, I know what we're doing over at AAP and that we've been calling some profits given the big runs that we've had, United Rentals, uh, we exited Chipotle and a couple others, and we're building up our uh, shopping list. We've identified some names in the bullpen, levels we'd be interested. Um, are you doing something similar or are you going somewhere else in your uh, investing trading endeavors? Well, I mean, I am counting on a less, given that the Bank of England and the ECB were, are both still leaning hawkish, especially the Bank of England. I, I think the dollar will continue to lose some value. So I, I'm playing things that gain value versus the dollar, things like, like the Bitcoin ETF, which is based on the futures, it's BITO. Uh, Ethereum ETF, ETHE. Now, I'm not a big fan of cryptos, guys. Don't get me wrong. But uh, where I see a chance to make money, I take it. So I'll jump on that ship just as fast as I jump on gold, which I own physically and through GLD and through the miners, which is GDX and silver, it's a, a SLV. So I, I expect all of those instruments to gain value if the dollar loses value the way I think it will. So that's that's a an area of investment for me, which is ancillary to my equity holdings, which I... Uh, which, which I kind of, I use like things like earnings and fundamental analysis when I look at my equity holdings as well as technicals. So I, I you know, there's much more 
there's much more homework done when I'm looking at an individual stock mm-hmm. than when I'm looking at an ETF in general. And I'm also looking at Asia. Okay? I'm also long India in a couple of spots. Uh, I'm long uh, the INDA uh, ETF, the uh, SMIN, which is the small caps in India. I'm long some South Korea and I'm long some Malaysia. Okay. In, in terms of US listed equities, uh, individual stocks, anything you're keeping your eyes on? Well, I'm still, I am still in some of the names that gave us this big run because I'm, although I've taken, I have taken some profits on the way up, they're still the backbone of my book. I mean, AMD and NVIDIA, I'm up, you know, three, three digit percents in both of them. How can I, I'm not going to back off until they do. Uh, so how, how, so, how will, hang on, hang on. How do you know when they back off? Well, when NVIDIA backs off, you kind of, and you're along it, you find out you, <laughs> it's like, you don't need a bell to ring. <laughs> your your PNO will tell you. Uh, I also like cybersecurity big time, even though they're overvalued. They are by every metric overvalued, but I'm long I'm long uh, Sentinel One, which is letter S, CrowdStrike, and Palo Alto. I'm up ridiculous percent in all three of them. I also like Palantir a lot, which isn't true cybersecurity, but it is AI, and they are like the super spy of the uh, of the tech industry. I'm only up a small percentage in this because I had it in the stocks under 10 portfolio. If I, and I couldn't own it while that portfolio existed, but if, if you go from where I got the portfolio, if you bought it when I told you to buy it in the portfolio, you're up about 120%. So nice. Excellent. Yeah, it, that was a good one. So that that's what you're owning. Is there anything you know, you're looking out? So like, for example, AAP, we recently started like a small position, Waste Management, uh, Morgan Stanley. We got our eyes on LabCorp. And you know, two or three others that if we see the market come in, we're going to want to start buying these as newer positions for the portfolio. Well, I just opened a new position in Southern. It's my only utility right now. I will expand my exposure to the utilities if interest rates really come in. Uh, I, I'm in still in Berkshire B, which I've been in before, but I'm thinking of expanding my my uh, my exposure to Berkshire B. I, I like the idea of a conglomerate right now that includes industrials and financials. Uh, I'm just a little bit afraid that. I don't want to jinx anybody here, but the number two guy over there passed away a little while ago, and the number one guy isn't exactly <laughs> a teenager. So no, so, and, so, and 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 his and his diet leaves something to be considered. Yeah, and I do think that the stock will take a tremendous hit if something ever happens to him, because even if the even if the guys he's identified as successors are superstars, the market won't believe it until they see it. Well, let's comes. Let, let, let's just say it a little differently. The Buffett premium will be gone. Yes, and there is a premium there, and and uh, and I'm someone that's bought into that premium over the years. I've always, you know, I've always treated him as if he were a uh, a Joe Namath or a Tom Seaver, you know, one of those kind of guys. I think you're dating yourself for some of the younger listeners, Sarge. <laughs> okay, let's think. Who's really good now? Uh, Shohei Otani. <laughs> all right, all right. Anything, a- anything else as we. Uh... As we kind of fade into the end of the year with the last podcast of the year, any any parting thoughts or words of wisdom, rules of thumb, call it what you will? I'm still, I, I was completely out of the energy sector for a while. I've just gotten into Exxon Small. I'm thinking of adding Chevron. I have not picked the stock of the year yet, which which I'll probably be doing at some point this year. Chevron is in the running, so is Berkshire B. Uh, I'm not sure if I'm going to go there. Uh, Microsoft... Well, I- Go ahead. I, I know what my stock of the year is. I'll tell you when we're done. I'll tell you when we're done. All right. 
Microsoft has been an outstanding stock for me. Uh, Amazon, I'm only back into semi-recently, but semi-recently still nets me, let me see, uh, about 17% because the stock's been doing- Oh, so, well you bought at the end, so you bought at the end of October. Yeah, and, and I had been out of, <laughs> I'd been out of it for a while, so I'm really glad to see it, it coming along. And you know what? This AI is real. I don't know if it's going to be, if enough firms are going to realize financial benefit that quickly, but the firms that are selling the hardware, like, like AMD and NVIDIA, they, they, especially in NVIDIA right now, they can charge such a premium, such a margin on these products, even without the benefit of China, that, that I think they, I don't know if they can show the growth to maintain the trajectory of the stock price, but they can probably show the cash flow for a little while to at least hold some of the gains that they've made. I think, you know, where the software names that have benefited like ServiceNow and, and Salesforce, I'm not putting them down, I'm long both of them. They will have, I think, a, a, a more of a problem benefiting uh, over sustaining the benefits that they've received from, uh, from the advent of artificial intelligence. So we have several of those names that you mentioned in the AAP portfolio. I'm actually looking for other areas where AI is used to drive real productivity. Um, I Probably the best example, I talked about this on the December members only call, is in Axon, where AI is going to take what the body camera records and start the, quote, digital paperwork, whether you're a federal, state, local uh, public safety officer, police, fireman, whatever. Um, which is kind of interesting because, you know, nobody loves paperwork. Yeah, that would be, uh, as long as it doesn't put anybody out of work. Uh, that's, uh, that, 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 I'm sure I know one of my sons is a police officer. I'm sure, I know he would police, uh, he would greatly appreciate that. You know, we're, we, live in, we live in New York, so basically these guys are uh, still doing the paperwork while the perp is already walking out the building. You know? <laughs> well, <laughs> um, in, in, until they have uh, robots to wear the body cameras, I think we're still going to need, you know, old-fashioned shoe leather, at least at least for a while longer. So I think I think he will be quite a okay. But but that's kind of what we're thinking. So you know, I've I've, I've asked you some questions on it. Um, just this is kind of my thinking. Uh, just put stitching it all together. Is I, I think we're going to melt up. I think that as we get into January, right around the time earnings season starts and the um, dial is recalibrated, let's say, lower, then I think the market's gonna start to question itself. Um, could happen sooner, but that, that's at least what I'm looking forward to. Yeah. I, think, I, I think you're probably right. I, I think we're gonna get a good whooping come either January or February. I mean, I can't tell you how many Februarys I've been like maybe in some TV studio with the, uh, with the host of a show saying, what now? We, we were so strong a couple months ago. It's happened before. And this year, the run-up into year's end is stronger than it's, than it's really been, I think, in, in, that I remember for a while now. So mm -hmm, mm -hmm. the pain, once we realize that the economy is not great, once we realize that there is still inflation and the economy hasn't come to a standstill, so the Fed can't be as aggressive as, for some reason, the market priced in, I think that the market's going to have to reevaluate itself. What is it, 19.3 times uh, forward-looking earnings right now? For 2024, yeah. right around there, yeah. Right. Now, 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 we, now the 10-year average, I think, uh, the, five, the range between the 10 and 5-year average for the S&P 500, I think it's 17.6 times to 18.8 .8 times. And that uh, was when... Hang on. Hang on one second. Oh, let me get... I'm let close me get, if I'm not right. <laughs> so 
<clears throat> here it is. The average high PE between 2000 and 2022, excluding 2020, which of course was redonkulous, uh, is 19 times. We are currently at, as of Friday's close, uh, 21 times consensus 2023 earnings and 18.8, call it 19 now, um, consensus 2024. So we're 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 about right where we're going to be. So those averages that we're talking about were mostly done when they, when the Fed was adding to the balance sheet, when the money supply was expanding, when the monetary base was expanding. There were reasons for there were liquidity reasons for for valuations to be above average. Right now, I mean, yes. The monetary base is still large. The balance sheet is still large and and money supply is still large, but they're all coming in. You have quantitative tightening working against those numbers, which the Fed has no interest in slowing down, nor should they. I, I agree with them 100 percent on keeping that program going for as long as they can and getting the, the balance sheet maybe down to maybe, maybe cutting it in half from where they started. So you have a reason where maybe valuations should be coming in, not expanding at a time that they're expanding. So there, there is going to be a time, and, and I don't think it's very far off where, where traders will still trade, but investors will really have to do the, do some work. I, I think that's right. I mean, we're like I said, we're you know kind of preparing for something to happen. Not sure exactly on the timing. Uh, I, I don't know about you. We've got actually uh, some inverse ETFs that we're going to hang on to at least in the time frame, and our cash is around twenty two, twenty three percent. Uh, I would love to put it to work, but I certainly can't do it here. Well, put it in, put it in a thirty-day paper. Five point four percent still. I mean, I, I, how can you go wrong? Cash five, five point four percent yield for thirty-day U.S. paper. Uh, you know what? We'll talk about that offline, and the best way to do that so that AAP <laughs> members can take advantage of it. All right, we'll we will cut it there. So, Sarge, uh, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, and all the best into twenty twenty-four. But we're going to want to talk with you, Sarge, probably late January, early February to get your take on what's going on. So uh, will, will you come back then? Oh, sure. God willing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You'll be fine. You'll be fine. All right, Sarge. Thanks for joining us. All the best to your family, and we'll see you in 2024.